Today we uh, conclude this sermon series on stewards, and uh, it has been uh, a, a great journey, uh, but today we're going to kind of bring it to a conclusion uh, for this year. Uh, won't preach another stewards sermon uh, this year, but we'll come back and hit it next year as well. Uh, really, the reason we're doing this is because it is preeminently important for us as followers of Jesus uh, to understand God's expectations and his desire and really what it looks like for, for us to be faithful followers of Christ. See, for those of you who are here who are followers of Jesus, there was a time when you weren't a follower of Jesus. Okay, There was a time where you did not know the grace of God that gives you new life and forgiveness of sin. There was a time that regardless of your church status, you were not a follower of Jesus, nor were you destined for an eternity of bliss in heaven with him. But there did come a day, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, there did come a day where you understood that your sin had separated you from God. And you didn't need anyone to try to explain what sin was to you. You knew it, you instinctively understood it and experienced it, and you knew that your sin was separating you from God. And that was what was creating the huge emptiness inside your soul, that blank spot that no uh, amount of activity or relationship or any kind of other pleasure could satisfy. And you were living each day in the vast emptiness of a blank space inside who you were. And you were desperate. You were desperate for something to erase that emptiness. And you saw that your only hope was friendship with God, but there was nothing that you could do to make up for the sin in your life. You had tried. You had tried to do a better job at being a better person. You tried to reform your ways, but you couldn't make up for the sin that you had already done. You still, no matter how religious or moral or good you tried to be, there was still that, that debt of sin that you couldn't pay off. And, and you were stuck there until you heard the good news. And this is the gospel, that God who loves you sent Jesus to die for your sin. And through his death on the cross, paid the price, paid the debt that your sin owed that you could never pay for yourself. And through his resurrection from the dead, offers you a brand new heart, a brand new life, a new DNA coding as a human being and as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you who once were lost, who were dead in your trespasses, God has made you alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Today, we who are gathered here, who are followers of Christ, we have walked that journey where once we were lost, but now we're found. Once we were blind, but now we see. Once we were dead, but praise God, now we're alive. Now that's where we've been and this is where we are, but here's the problem. As followers of Jesus, we shout. We shouted from the very beginning because we understood all that God was doing for us through Christ. We shouted from the beginning, Jesus is my king. I am his follower. He has rescued me and he is my king. 
and we looked to Jesus as our king and we knew what that meant as best as we could understand. Even though we live in America and even though most monarchies in the civilized society today have muted the, 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 the idea of a king, we still understood that if I said Jesus is my king, that meant that he called the shots in my life and I submitted myself to him and he had absolute permission and control over everything in Eric Thomas. And when you signed up to receive God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you also signed up declaring Jesus is my king and you meant it. And really even today, your longing is for Jesus to be in control of your life. But as a follower of Jesus, over time we become nostalgic, really rather neglectful. Nostalgic because we love the idea of what Jesus did to rescue us from our sin, but we, we become neglectful. Neglectful because we start putting ourselves as more important than God. We start placing my wants above what God says. We start, we start prioritizing ourselves, even our family and friends or our job or our fun times. We start prioritizing all these things. And where we once said, Jesus is my king, he is my greatest priority, we change that story now, even as followers of Christ. Now, I've got to tell you, that's my struggle too. I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at everybody around and saying, I wish y'all would get to my standard. I'm off the pulpit on this one. I'm with you in this. I struggle with this. As part, of, as part of being a follower of Jesus is no, not allowing yourself to, to, to prioritize yourself above God. Not allowing yourself to prioritize anything above Jesus, your King. And so today, as we look at Haggai chapter 1, as we conclude this message, it's a quick message. It's not going to take very long. And really, the conclusion of the message is you living out the message. And so as we, as, we, uh, as we finish up, it really comes down to this one truth. Faithful followers of Christ prioritize their passion of God above everything else. Faithful followers of Christ prioritize their passion for God above everything else. Above your games, above your fun times, above your work, above your family, and even above yourself. I mean, remember how Jesus said it. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. He said, in another place, he said, if, if you don't hate your brother and your mother and your sister and your cousin and your nephew and your blah, 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 then you're not worthy to be my, my disciple, my follower. And Jesus wasn't saying you're not supposed to love everybody. He's saying you're supposed to love him most. That's what we're supposed to do. That's in your DNA as a follower of Jesus. And if, if you have never felt that pulse inside your soul, then you have to question whether or not you ever really have been a follower of Jesus. See, today what we have to do is we have to figure out how that relates in our everyday life. It, uh, and, and I know we're talking about money. And by the way, we're getting ready to talk about money. 
And, and I know talking about money is, is like me meddling in your business and everything. Look, it's meddling in my business too. It's not easy to talk about this. It's not easy for us to have this conversation. But listen, the way we handle our money is symbolic of the way we're leading our life. And when we elevate my needs above God's desires with our money, make no mistake, we are failing to prioritize Jesus as our king. I want you to hear that because this is our big problem or one of our big problems. What we do is we get a bunch of money, right? And, and that is a gift from God to us. We'll say that. Everybody will say that. Yes, everything I have, God gave it to me. Thank you, Jesus. But then Jesus starts meddling with your money because it's not your money. It's his that he put in your hand. And he says, okay, now, Eric, this is how much coin I put in your hand this week. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take so much money and I want you to return it to me. That's the command. And for every follower of Jesus, make no mistake. That's part of his command in your life. I'm not talking about percentages, and I'm not trying to evaluate how much money out of your big chunk of money you're giving to the Lord. I don't care. That's not my point. The point is God's placed upon your heart a a command to return to him a portion that he's laid in your lap. And here's here's what happens. So God says, Eric, I want you to take $10, and I want you to return it to me. I say, okay, God, I hear you. I feel you. I got what you're saying. And I take that whole conversation with God, and I put it back here. And I sit down. I say, honey, I talk to my wife, honey. I guess I can call God honey. I don't think he'd mind. Well, I'm talking to Edie now, honey. Let's, let's go over our bills. We go over our bills. Uh, honey, what do you want to do today? What, and, then, and then the girls, you know, what do they need to do this, this, this week? And, and what's going, what are all the expenses? And we look, and you know, I'd really like to go buy me a new pair of shoes. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Daddy, daddy, daddy needs a new pair of shoes. And, and I'd like to do that too. And so I, I, I add all these, all these monies up and, and, and pretty soon I have to take that 10 spot out of my pocket and put it in the pile that's going to feed my needs. Have you ever been there? I mean, heaven forbid that I might have to turn off my cable for for a season in order to do what God wants me to do. Heaven forbid that I'd have to give up my cell phone for a season in order to do what God wants me. Heaven forbid that I don't get to go to Chick-fil-A as godly as that organization may be. But God forbid that I don't get to go to Chick-fil-A twice a day for seven days a week, six days a week. They're not open the seventh. Hallelujah. <laughs> no, you know what we say? We say, well, I got to do me. I got to take care of me. I got to take care of the things that I, and, and if, I, if I have any left over, then, no, yeah, yeah, I'll, if I have any left over, I'll take care of what God asked me to do. Now, I'm not judging and I'm not really being flippant. I'm just telling you the way it's worked in my life. I don't know if it's worked like this in yours. But when I am faced financially with doing what God has asked me to do and taking care of my own stuff, that is a real struggle at times. But a faithful follower of Jesus prioritizes 
his passion for God even above his passion for himself. Now, that's what Haggai's getting at, or God's telling the, the, the children of Israel in Haggai chapter 1. I, 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 let me just read this, and then we're almost through, by the way. We're almost through with the message. Oh, yeah. Israel has come back from captivity. Okay, the context. This is 520 B.C. when this, uh, this prophecy, this, this preaching, these sermons of, from Haggai were, were, were proclaimed. 520 B.C. And, and the children of Israel, um, you remember, they, God brought them up out of bondage in Egypt, led them across the, uh, prom, uh, across the wilderness to the promised land. They said, we're not going to go in the promised land. He wandered them around, took care of them in the wilderness for 40 years, brought them back to the promised land. They said, yes, we'll be obedient and go into the promised land. He parted the Jordan River. He, they crossed to the promised land. Then he led them in, in their season in the, in the promised land, helped them grow through uh, Saul and David and Solomon and other kings, some faithful, some not faithful, until finally uh, Israel and Judah became so unfaithful that God said, I'm going to bring a foreign power and they're going to take you captive. And that's exactly what they did. And they took the children of Israel captive and they took them to a foreign land. The land, you know, the story of Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, 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 and places like that, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and all, all the children of Israel in exile. But after a season, about 70 years, God said, you know what? I'm going to take the, the, my people who are in exile, and I'm going to bring them back to the promised land, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. And that's the people to whom uh, Haggai is speaking. They once were in bondage, but, but now uh, being released from bondage, God said, here's what I want you to do. You go to Jerusalem, you rebuild the temple, and uh, you rebuild the walls. And they began to rebuild the walls, but after 20 years of being restored to the land of promise, after 20 years of being raised up out of bondage again, they still had left the temple unfinished. So, Chapter 1, verse 1. In the, uh, Haggai 1, verse 1. In the uh, second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, uh, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. So God's saying, Here's what you people are saying. God says, you people, my people, the people I raised up out of bondage, the people that I've rescued, you say to me, it's not time for us to invest in the temple. We're just not, we're not ready for that. All right, so it goes on. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and, and, uh, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Underline it. That's it. Consider your ways. That's what our call is today. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages, put it in a bag that has holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's our calling today. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Let's stop there. Here's, here's, here's what happened. God rescued the children of Israel, brought them back to the land of promise, set them and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rebuild the temple. 
That was the command. The people of Israel came back to the land of promise and, and they, their land was broken and they had, to, they had to plow the field and they had to build their own homes. And, and what they did in the meantime is they ignored what God had called them to do. They said, we got to take care of ourselves and then we'll take care of God. Have you ever done that? I've got to take care of me. I've got to take care of mine and then we'll take care of God. God will understand. But the principle of this passage is real simple. Meager living flows out of misplaced priorities. Meager living. When I say meager living, I'm talking about a life that is filled with with an inability to experience abundance. And even as followers of Jesus, we struggle with that meager kind of life. Why? Because we have determined that the best way for me to live in abundance is for me to take care of me. But that's not what we do as followers of Jesus. See, as followers of Jesus, we say, the best way for me to live in abundance is for me to be obedient to God, and God will take care of me. Here in this passage, what happens is, uh, God says, I want you to rebuild the temple. And they said, we're not going to take care of the temple because we got our own houses to put roofs on. And they're living in paneled houses, which is not opulence. It's just they were taking care of themselves. And their priority was themselves rather than God. And God said, well, because your priority is yourself and not me, here's the result. You have clothes, but no one is warm. You earn wages, but they seem to sift through a bag with hole in it. You, you, you sow, but you bring little in. You harvest, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're not drink to the full. You always lack. Why? Because you've got the wrong equation for fulfillment. Meager living flows out of misplaced priorities. If you and I are going to experience abundance today, then we must flip the script on how we do our economics. We must evaluate our economics not based on what looks best in the bank account and the balance sheet, but rather we must consider the best way to do our economics based upon first and foremost, what does God want? Let me do that. And then he'll take care of the rest. See, here's, here's what needs to happen in our life. And I know it's counterintuitive and I know it doesn't make sense. And I know it flies in the face of how you've been living your life for so long. But here's the deal. If we're going to live abundance, then we have to be, we have to be more passionate for what God wants than what we want. We have to be more committed to what God wants than what we want. We have to be more purposeful in doing what God wants rather than just doing what we want. And that means we give God what he asks us to give him. Look, I want you to understand this is not about money for us. This right here, it's not about money. I want you to listen clearly to me today. We don't need your money. We don't need it. I know that's not what you hear often in churches. Please send me your money. We're not going to be able to do what we need to do. We don't have your money. Look, here's what I've got to say to you. God will help us do whatever we need to do. If it's his plan, he'll help us accomplish it. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church as long as we're faithful and obedient to him. We don't need your money. This is not about us getting your money. This is about you living in abundance by being obedient to God in your giving. 
flip the script. You see, when we are passionate and when we prioritize God's glory above all other things, then he will bless us abundantly. But that blessing of abundance can only come when we are obedient. This is the pattern of Scripture. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus is my king. Good. Now let's live it. That means I'm going to put, I'm, I'm going to put myself in second or third or fourth chair. And God is priority. And so when God says, Eric, I want you to give $10 this week. I'm, I'm going to give 10. And I'm going to, I'm going to give it because, uh, because that's what God has asked me to do. And I'm going to take joy and pleasure in being obedient to him. And I'm going to take joy and pleasure in being obedient to him and celebrating the abundance that he's going to give to me. When I say abundance, I'm using that in a very generic way. It can be financial abundance. It, it most certainly will be spiritual abundance. It most certainly will be a life abundance. It doesn't have to be money. But the key for us is to be more passionate about bringing God glory than we are taking care of me. Is that where you live? If not, consider your ways. See, consider your ways. Said twice, verse 5, verse 7. Flip the switch. Do it differently. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, get the wood, bring it down. Let's build the temple. Consider your ways. See, today today can be a day of difference making for you. Today can be a day where you move from the poverty kind of life you've been living because you've been focused on taking care of self. And you can choose to live in the abundance because you're being obedient to God. Look, all I'm doing is giving you the information that the Bible tells you. There are hundreds of other places in Scripture where I could be using the same, uh, saying the same thing because this is what Scripture teaches us. God blesses our obedience, and part of that obedience means that we dig into the money that he's given us and we give him back the portion that he asks us to give him. Consider your ways. And if today you consider your ways and you see that you have not prioritized God above yourself, especially when it comes to your money, then today make a change. Today you make the change. In a few minutes, I'm, I'm going to ask all of you to come and bring your offering to the Lord. Bring it here. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 26. Here's how they all got to. Everybody stood up. Everybody came forward. They took their offering. They placed it there at the altar of the Lord. And they said, this is my, altar to, my offering to the Lord for all the provision he's done for me. And so I'm going to invite you to, 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 to gather with us. And we're going to come down. And if you've given online, you think that's, what God's, that's all that God's asked you to do. And you're not supposed to be giving anything extra other than what you've already done online. They're in the pew rack. There should be little I gave online cards. You bring that down. You put it in here. Uh, Guests, if you're a guest of ours and God hasn't convicted you to give some money, then just bring your little guest card and you put it in here. But all of us should be considering our ways. See, this is a test not of how we can coerce you into doing something. This is a test on how you are going to be obedient to God in this moment. 
And if you will be obedient, God will bless you abundantly. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8. through 8. I want you to see these verses. It's going to be up here. The Apostle Paul says, But I say this, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. But he who sows abundantly, generously, bountifully, shall also reap abundantly, generously, and bountifully. So let each, of, each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, I want you to get this, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. When we are faithful to give out of a heart of joyful obedience to what God has purposed in my heart to give, when I give in that way, then I can count on God's grace abounding toward me so that I will live at all times being all-sufficient in all things because God is taking care of me. But the question is, will you consider your ways today? Will you flip the script? Will you change your mind? No longer be nostalgic or just word-oriented, Jesus is my king, but actually breaking cash out of your coffer and giving it to the Lord as he has commanded. You declare, yes, Jesus is my king. Consider your ways. So in the next few minutes, uh, I'm going to pray. And then uh, after you consider your ways and, and after you have prayed through it, you start coming down. You start giving your offering. If you're in the balcony, there are offering boxes up there. Feel free if you want to come down here. Feel free to come down here and give your offering. If you want to do it up there, there are ministers up there. If you want anybody to pray with you, they, they'd love to pray with you too. But, but the offer, uh, you can put them in the offering boxes up there. Um, uh, this is the message lived out. And, and after, we, after you give, go back to your seat, and we're going to close with a song of celebration of affirmation and declaration that Jesus is our King. So, Father, right now, may we consider our ways, and in awe of you, may our hearts burn to praise you for the life that you've given us through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus that we live and breathe and have our being. Amen and amen. You come as God leads you.